Now, before I say any other words, I'm going to begin um, with a word of prayer for this portion of our service. I just want to dedicate this to him and pray for his impact in what I'm going to say. Uh, I hope that nobody came here today just to hear a guy talk, right? We want to hear from God, and we're praying for a miracle that God would use a faulty human being to present his truth and his word, right? That's a miraculous thing that we're asking for, and we want to ask for that before I even say another word. Heavenly Father, we come to you again today just asking now that as I begin to speak, open up your word and talk about, Lord, what was written 2,000 years ago. God, we're asking that your spirit would be present in how the words are presented and how they are heard, Lord, not just from my mouth, but also in the ears that are here today, that they would hear your word and hear your truth. Lord, we pray as well that it would be delivered with authority and power by the very power of your spirit, the same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead is what we're hoping for today, and we pray that you would do that. In Christ's name, amen. We're in Luke chapter 13. For those of you that are new here today or visiting today, we are studying Luke, and uh, we got to chapter 13 in two sermons. (laughs) That's not true, is it? We are in sermon like 83, okay? So uh, we've been going through Luke, and it's taken a while to get to this point. Uh, but uh, I, I just want to encourage you as we jump into this, even if you missed all 83 of those sermons, I'm not going to attempt to summarize those for you in this moment. But uh, I will say that we are, what's that? Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I, I don't want to try to summarize everything, but I will say that We've reached a point, and I don't talk about the big overarching picture all the time, but we've reached a point in this story of Luke where there's, there's things are changing, okay? And so this, this part plays a picture in the big picture of the story of what's happening in Jesus' ministry, okay? So I want to point that out, that there's things that are happening big picture-wise, and I don't always talk about that. Slightly smaller picture I want to talk about as well that there's this big, huge picture of what Jesus is doing in his ministry. Where does he end up at the end of this ministry? This is not a trick question. The cross and then death, burial, resurrection, ruling, right? This is where it ends, but that cross piece is there. And so in that big picture, we're talking about some things that are happening And I think you'll see a little bit of that today. Also, in the not quite that big of a picture, but in a little bit of a smaller picture in Luke, we've had a bunch of teachings of Jesus where he's doing a lot of talking. And he pauses right here in the middle of this. that We we kind of shift gears. Something has happened. There's been a lot of hard things that he's been saying, which plays a part in the big picture because as he says these hard things, you start to see some people get even more ticked off at what he's saying. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's going to play a role directly into them getting so mad, eventually they're going to say, we're going to kill you. And they do. So that plays a part in this. And you start to see, and I hope that one of the things that you don't miss, and I'll try to mention it a couple times, but you're starting to get to the point here of something that has not changed. There's no fence to ride on when it comes to Jesus. Okay? Okay? And he says things in such a way that makes you go, I'm, i got to get on one side or the other. There is no middle ground with Jesus, how you're going to take him. You're either going to take him as your Savior and your Lord, or you're going to reject him. There's no like, well, I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what to do with him is on the other side of the fence. Okay? So, let's jump into this. Luke chapter 13, and we'll start with verse 10. 
And it says this, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Luke does not tell us which one it is, but he's teaching in one of these synagogues. I want to tell you as well, big picture story. This is the last time Jesus is in a synagogue teaching in Luke's gospel. Interesting, isn't it? He's going to do something. He's done this a few times already where he's ticked some people off with his teaching. And he's going to do it again. I'm just going to tell you right now, he's going to do it again. And this ends up being the last time that he is in a synagogue to teach in gospel, in, the, in Luke's gospel story. And I think that you'll see why by the end of the story. Jesus is on his way to, the, way to the cross. It's interesting in this big picture idea. In the Old Testament, the Jewish problem was idolatry. If you read through the Old Testament at all, you get that real quick. They had a problem with idolatry. God cured them of that problem by sending them into the Babylonian captivity. When they came out, a different issue arose. You could say it's a different version of the same issue. I think that people could argue that it's still idolatry to some sense. But I think like petulant children or the way some rebellious teens act, They had adopted the rules and standards that God had laid down, but missed the point entirely. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody adopts the rules that you lay down, but you're like, you are missing the point entirely. And they try to turn it around and pin it on other and use it to their own advantage. I mean, there's all kinds of things that they do. And you see that in the New Testament, where they had adopted those rules and those guidelines that God had laid down, but they're missing it entirely, missing the point, Okay. And like petulant children, that's how they react. This created, and I want you to hear this description because we're going to lay out four players today in this story, and I'm going to give you two of them right now. This laid out some self-righteous, arrogant, religious, yet hypocritical pride in some. Self-righteous, arrogant, religious, but hypocritical Pride is what we're going to see in some of these players. It also created, at the same time, and part of that is from that first group, that developed into an overwhelming, out-of-reach, burdensome, unattainable religious burden in others. Where they just went... Now, I'm going to be honest. When I look around, and some of you I don't know, so I can't say this for sure, but you got the look on your face too. I don't see out here the main problem being that first group. I could be wrong. You could be here today, and you could be self-righteous, and you could be arrogant. You could have said, I'm doing everything that God has called me to do, and I just wish everybody else would get on the same boat because they're screwing it up. That may be the case, okay? But I think most of us probably fall into the other side of things. And because of how some people and and how they do things, and sometimes it's come from pastors, I'm going to be honest with you, and other religious leaders, they've made it look, from your perspective, like a piece of cake to them. Uh, My wife mentioned today, I hope that you never see that with the leadership here, that you see a bunch of people that have attained, because there's not a person in here that has attained, Okay. And I think that some find it easy in your constant struggles as you're seeking to attain something that you think maybe some people have or you should, eventually you get to the point where you're like, I can't do it. And you give up. 
And sometimes you come to church, and even though you may look okay on the outside, on the inside you're like, I blew another week of my life. Right? Which was okay when you were like 15 and you blew a week. You're like, ah, I got plenty of more weeks coming up. <laughs> but at some point, do you ever get to the point where you go, I've blown so many weeks, I don't have that much. I, I got more past than what's left. And I've blown it and blown it and blown it. And, and you, sometimes you feel like, I don't have enough time to, to recoup what I've blown. Right? And does the burden get even heavier and heavier? Well, I want to tell you today that if you come here like that, there's hope and grace for you. But I'm going to tell you, that's not what Jesus is after is for you to attain. And if you're sitting here today, you're going to fall into one of two groups by the end. This self-righteous, arrogant, religious, yet hypocritical pride in some, Jesus called it out. We, we've dealt with this before, and I'll talk about some places. But in Matthew 23, Jesus puts it this way to those scribes and Pharisees. He says this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. I, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to ever come across that way at this church that that there's some, I don't want you to ever look at it and feel like we've shut the kingdom of heaven in your face and keeping you from going in. Because if I fall into that category, or Paul falls into that category, or our people up here leading music fall into that category, I'm going to tell you what, Jesus called it out and he said, they're not going in anyway. And there's a woe to those things. There's a couple possibilities of what Jesus' actions and responses will do. One, they may have a liberating effect on the burdened masses. That's what I'm hoping for, at least to the ones who believe it. But two, they may have an infuriating effect on the hypocritical few. Again, like I said at the beginning, there's no riding the fence. Now, you ready? Here's my foundation. You ready to jump into this story? Verse 11. He's teaching in the synagogues, right? So imagine him up there teaching, reading through some scripture, talking about some things he's teaching through. There's a group of people there that were listening to what's happening. And Luke tells us, as he is written down according to the witnesses, he says, Behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So imagine this person... And I heard Donnie go, oh, he probably feels this with his back right now. Right, Donnie? This woman, 18 years, and without shots offered, right? This woman has gotten to the point where she's, all, all of my commentators describe it, and they had all kinds of different medical terms of what it could have been. It's not really important what it could have been, but what it would have looked like. Imagine a person that's bent over and has been this way for 18 years. Right? When she goes to the market, when she's at home, if she has a family, imagine all the impacts it would have on her life. The looks at the market, right? I'm sure she caught those out of the corner of her eye. The looks at the market. You see the kids looking at her? What else do you see? What else would she have seen? How would it have affected her married life? 
right? But she's there, and she comes. Luke, if you don't know, his occupation was a physician, tells us something important here. This particular disability had a spiritual origin. He doesn't tell us how he knows this. We know that he obtained his information through interviewing witnesses, number one. But number two, we also know that the completed work came about by the very Spirit of God. Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the end result, even though he did all these things and he interviewed and he wrote things down, we can look at that end result. In fact, uh, Peter tells us that the writings, some of these New Testament writings, not just those Old Testament ones, Peter describes them as Scripture. Paul tells Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is ultimately, this is the way we can look and hear this, is breathed out by God. He goes on to say it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so when we read this account from Luke, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. There's something about that Luke had an insight into this where he wrote this. And I don't want you to think that all things are like this. This is only one time of all the times that Luke shares something as a physician. This is the only time that he attributes it to something related to something from a spirit is doing this to this person. The spiritual and the physical disability, though, pictures very clearly, and I would say viscerally, and I had to look up that word to make sure I was using it right. You feel it. It pictures the burdened masses. All of us can look at this woman and have some measure of understandability or relate to her in this physical and spiritual. All of us have physical issues, whether they're great or small. And I hate to break it to you, they're going to get worse, (laughs) right? And then eventually, even if you go, man, I made it through all these years, you're going to die. You know that, right? I mean, you're not getting out of this thing alive. I mean, eventually it's all going to catch up on you and you're going to, you're going to be like, I can't even get it. And then it's going to happen. You're not indestructible. Sin, when it entered the world, brought death with it. And from Adam to now, we're going to die. They did die. We will die. That's what it's like. And so we all recognize ourselves in this woman with the physical ailment she has. And her physical ailment is is picturing, I think, and this is why I think Luke wants to share this particular story, it pictures all of our spiritual ailments because we may not be bent over physically for 18 years, but some of us, when we heard this, it rang a bell in our ears. I know this woman and what it's like because I'm, you may not have been bent over for 18 years physically, but some of you have carried burdens spiritually, trying to live up to, trying to attain, trying to do, and you go, man, that's, if you could see me spiritually, that's what I would look like. And so there's this connection, and I think I want to say a beautiful connection in this woman, in the burden she's bore, that's illustrated 
amazingly for us to learn something. And I think that God has this story in here for us to hear it and say, man, I know what that's like. Now, Jesus, we're gonna see, he's up there teaching and he sees her. And so before I put that verse up that says that, I just want you to notice that part because I don't want you to miss that part. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm going to move on through the text, but don't miss it. I am not Jesus, by the way, in case you didn't know. You know. See, my wife just attested to it. Amen. <laughs> he is not. Right? Yeah, that was funny, wasn't it? Well, she, thank you for your testimony and your witness. <laughs> But I'm not. And I'm standing up here today, and I, 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 I may miss what you're going through. I probably will. I'm sort of dumb sometimes. Okay, I'm just going to tell you. Don't testify to that one. Okay? I, there's, I'm not going to do that. I, I may miss what is going on with you, especially spiritually. I cannot see the heart. Just a person. But I want to tell you that today, Jesus, who has promised to be in any gathering where two or more are gathered together, I can promise you I would stake my life on it that Jesus sees you. And so when I read this next one, I want you to know that Jesus does see you. You don't have to worry ever about being lost in the crowd which is a weird thing at Edgewood because we don't normally have a crowd, but we have a crowd today. It's weird. And you could actually get lost in the crowd. That didn't used to happen ever. There was like five of us. And half of the people over here were my family. And we got a crowd. And I'm telling you, Jesus will not miss you. I may, he won't. He sees you, okay? When Jesus saw her, then what's he do? Calls her over. Now, again, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this particular part, but I just want you to feel how hard this may have been for her. I imagine, I don't know, I imagine that a woman who's been like this for 18 years probably kept to the back. If you've known anybody that's struggled with a di different disabilities, sometimes it's, there's a desire to not be focused on. And I imagine this woman probably, this next step was challenging for her. But Jesus does something here that's important, doesn't he? And so here you are, you're here, and Jesus may see you, but I believe that this happens so often in church, and it's not audible necessarily for you. You may hear it through my voice. You may hear it from him directly. But I believe that there's a reality that Jesus is going to call us in our disability. He's going to say, come here. Come here. Now, I want you to start thinking about this because a little miraculous thing happened. I was playing. I don't normally have an invitational time, but I noticed that the 
singers. I, I was going, but then this week I was like, I gotta have one this week. I know I have to have one because of what this is about and what's going on here. I'm gonna have to have this. And I didn't have to say anything to the music team because they, of their own accord, said, "We're gonna have a thing, a music." They planned it. They didn't ask me, but they did it. And I just thought this morning when I saw that in the slides, I was like, "Thank you, Lord," because you just. It was reaffirming for me that that's what needed to happen. So I want you to start thinking about this. This isn't in my notes. I want you to start thinking about this here because if any point through here Jesus calls you, there's going to be a point at the end of this service where I'm going to say, now if he did that, there's an opportunity for you to step up here. Okay? In your bent condition. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you're freed from your disability. And he lays his hands on her. And immediately, she was made straight. Oh, man, I wish I could see this. I've often wondered if God would let us have replays. Lord, I know that this Could Could you do like a replay of this? I would love to see this. I would love to see what the joy on her face looked like. I would love to hear, it says she glorified God. What was she saying? I don't know. But I imagine that. I could, and I, I think there's some benefits to using your imagination here. Let your imagination run for just a moment. Try to imagine this woman who's bent over. Did she have a walking stick? Did she have a cane? What does she have? She gets up there and he says, and she was brave enough to say, okay, I'll come up. This teacher's called me up. And this Jesus comes over and says, you are freed from your disability. And he puts his hands on her. And then it says immediately. So can you just picture her? Picture, maybe close your eyes for a minute and picture her just, just there in front of it. And Jesus laying his hands on her and her just going. Oh. And then she just starts glorifying God. What a great thing to watch. Oh, man. Would you love to see it? Would you love to be it? <laughs> he lays his hands on her and immediately. There's so many things we could discuss in here. The word translated disability could also be translated weakness or infirmity or illness. Many times it's translated, most of the times in the New Testament, it's translated weakness. It's used of her to describe the fact that she could not, she did not have that ability or strength to straighten up. So often in the King James Bible, it's translated infirmity, and that rings a bell in our ears that have been in the word for a long time of Isaiah's prophecy of a Messiah that would come and do this very thing. And so the Messiah that has come did this very thing, validating his ministry. Jesus is simply teaching. She is simply there. She says nothing. No request is made on her part. No mention of her faith. Like the woman who touched Jesus' garment and was healed that we learned about. It's not like that. This one is different. She's just there and he calls her and she comes Jesus does call her. She does obey because she's close enough for him to lay his hands on her. And Jesus frees her. And she glorifies God. Now, how will the other players respond? There's other people present, aren't there? 
but the ruler of the synagogue. And I have a hard time understanding the fullness of this because in my mind I would think, yes! I may be biased, though. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath. He's not completely off. Exodus 29, he knew the law. He knew what God required. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. There ought to be a day of rest. That is what God said. In fact, it was so important that it made it into his top 10 commandments. It wasn't like 15 or 32. It was in the top 10. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. But this ruler of the synagogue, a representative of that religious hypocritical few, is perfectly illustrated in this guy. Come one of those other days and be healed. That healing you did, that was work, Jesus, and you shouldn't be doing work on the Sabbath. Jesus, though, one of the other players in this story, the liberator, has liberated this woman. Now, he's now going to speak some harsh words to the hypocritical few. I believe, I think, as an attempt to liberate more of the masses from their undue burdens and potentially maybe liberate some of the hypocritical few. And I think maybe possibly also reveal another player in this drama that we call existence. Listen to how Jesus responds now to this religious leader. Verse 15. Then the Lord answered him, and I love that Luke shifts and doesn't say Jesus answered him. He says the Lord answers him. You hypocrites. Talk about being direct, right? Does not each of you, oh man, this is going to sting. <laughs> Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? This was accurate. They had these rules. They knew it. And when they decided, okay, what constitutes work? They listen. These are the things that make it. This is what work is. If this is, this is work. You can't do the work. Well, what about, and so they, well, you got some exceptions. I mean, if you're, your ox is tied up. You don't want him to die. So we got to take, we got to at least untie the ox and let it have some water, right? So that's an exception to the rule. That's not really work because it's we just untie, right? So they're, they're well, they recognize an ox that is bound ought to be liberated on the Sabbath. That's good. And Jesus calls him on, ought not this woman? And I love this. And this is, I mean, I told, I told Paul earlier, there, there, was, there was probably, I didn't want to exaggerate. I said 20, but that was a slight exaggeration. There was 15, 10 maybe, a different way. I had this worked out, and I was like, that's, no, delete. Uh, then I worked it out. This is one of them. I was like, man, can you see how Jesus sees this woman? Not as an animal. Better than that. Not just as a woman. But what does he call her in this text? Daughter of Abraham. You remember these Pharisees. These are the ones that when, when they're confronting John the Baptist, they're like, we're sons of Abraham. Right? 
And what's he do? This she's a daughter of Abraham. And he elevates. Right? Ought not she's better. You treat your you treat your animals better than you treat this person. Shame on you. Shame on you. Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who's Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on Sabbath day? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom who bound? Satan. Ooh, there's another player has entered into this story. Somebody else is playing a role. There's so much happening. I actually put in my notes, oh my goodness. <laughs> if you don't believe me, I'll show you later. There's so much happening in these two verses that I, I, I can talk about. We got Jesus the liberator who liberates captives, right? People who are captive spiritually, people who are captive physically. He's the great liberator of this world. We've got the hypocrites. The religious leaders, emphasis on the quotes I put in my notes, the religious leaders, quotes, they're bad shepherds. They're leaving people off a cliff, aren't they? Who captivate people with their intelligence and weigh people down. Like Luke said in Luke 11 that we already talked about, Luke eleven forty six, and he said, woe to you lawyers, for you load people with burdens hard to bear and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. We've got them. We could talk about them, and trust me, we will. We have got the burdened masses. Like this woman who was burdened for 18 years, some of you have gotten to the point where, they're just, where you're just living in your bent state. There's spiritual bondage, there's physical bondage, but a person seen by Jesus as a son or daughter of Abraham, and unlike those religious hypocrites, Jesus sees you as better than an ox, right? We have that other player, Satan, who was the one who has kept this person in bondage. This is not always the case with every physical ailment, but in this particular case, it was. Take that, Satan. We got more batteries. <laughs> Luke, the physician, like I told you earlier, only direct, directly states this. One of the time he indirectly states that it's a possibility, but this is the one time where he specifically says that's what this is. The remainder of the times those physical ailments weren't attributed to a work of a demon or a spirit, which means most of the time it isn't that. But regardless, Jesus doesn't have a problem with those things either, does he? We've seen that over and over again. But is it not most fitting that this woman who was bent over physically and spiritually and spiritually bent in a physical way, 
is liberated on the Sabbath. Jesus, I think, says, enter into your rest. Now, don't be confused. That woman eventually grew older, eventually died, and was put into a grave where she, I don't want to be gross, but rotted. Her full liberation physically is a liberation that is incredibly bright that we're all looking forward to. With all present, let's think now how we hear this story. We're getting close to a point where there's a decision that must be made. And there's a fence, and you're going to figure out where you land. And we see it in this story as well. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. I mean, they knew, they, they, had, they didn't have a word to say in return. They knew, he's right. We do let our ox loose on a, a, a Sabbath. If my ox needed, if my, in fact, there's other rules. If the donkey fell into it, it's okay. You pull that, right? You can let this, you can, there's things that you could do, and a lot of them had to do with helping an animal. And Jesus like, shame on you. And they knew it. They had nothing to say. They were put to shame. All the people, the burdened masses, rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. You hear us today. Number one, Jesus is here. He's promised that when two or more are gathered together in his name, he is present. He is here. Right? He promises these things, and he is still the Savior. He is still the liberator. He is still the Messiah, and he is here. Number two, Satan, or at least his minions, are present. They would seek to keep you in bondage. They would seek to keep you bent and broken. They would seek to keep you out of the way. Maybe here, maybe stepping into a church, maybe they'll be like, well, that's all right, we'll let them get in there. But never coming to Jesus when he calls. Because that's what we're going to talk about next. Jesus is going to call. And he may already be doing That's the amazing thing. That's the that's the really amazing thing. Like we all were like, oh man, the batteries went dead. Oh my word. But I'm telling you right now, what's even more amazing than that, more spectacular than that, is that as I was going through here, there's some of you that in a moment, and it may not have been exactly what I was even saying out loud, you knew, you were sitting there like, man, Jesus was calling me. Jesus was calling me. I kn- like you knew it. Maybe he's calling you to repent of some sin that's been burdening you down. He's calling you, turn away from that. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm going to give you real rest. I will free you from this burden. Maybe. And that's more, that's more miraculous, I'm telling you. The fact that you, and some of you are sitting here going, how did he know? Because this is how he works. 
And it's way more powerful than batteries going dead. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. Because you hear us today, number three, the groups that are in here today, we've got Jesus, we've got Satan or his minions present. You hear us today that are adversarial to this. Maybe you don't sit there and go, I'm totally at no. I don't know, why would I be? But the reality is you will walk out of here today. If you are falling to this category, you'll walk out of here today. I got no problem. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Problem isn't me. Problem is everybody else. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll turn on the news. Bunch of idiots. Stupid world. They would just get on track. This world would be a lot better. I'm telling you, you are running a dangerous, risky situation where you may be falling into that category of not seeing that what you need is Jesus, but thinking in your heart, I've got it all figured out already. You're, you are on that edge of that fence, leaning right over into this side. Don't let that be you. It, it shows itself in a lot of weird ways, and I know that most of us would say, man, if I saw what this, these people saw... But you'd be amazed at how often people go, they see somebody coming to Christ in a way that they're not used to seeing. And they're like, well, that's, I don't think that. Right? You're falling dangerously close into something terribly frightening of rejecting the Savior of the world. You hear us today that love this. You will rejoice at the goodness of Jesus. I haven't really talked about this a whole lot, but some, there are some present in this room that I'm telling you right now, there are some present in the room that heard this, and it's not that Jesus is calling them now to come forward again, but they could sit here and they could say, I remember the day that happened. I remember the day that I came to him, and I can remember the day that he straightened me out. And I may be physically waiting for that ultimate straightening out when I get to heaven, but I'm telling you what, that I felt that woman because I can remember when that was me. I remember when he called. I remember when he said, you're free. Some of you have experienced that. There's things that you have struggled with, physical things that have you've either been addicted to things or you're struggling with things, whether it's something chemical, right? We got all kinds of, I'm telling, let's, be, let's just be honest. We got people in this room, multiple people, praise God. Honestly, I love that about this church. I think there's more of us in this room that have struggled with something like that than they haven't. And that's awesome because that shows there's a bunch of bent over women who are standing up straight and saying, God, freed me. God, freed me. And Satan may be whispering to you all the time, come on back. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> right? Shut up. I'll tell you, if you're sitting here struggling and you've struggled with that, there are so many people in this room that you could talk to and say, I could tell you right now that God doesn't just give you the tools. He can free you from this bondage. And I'm telling you, if you're struggling today with whatever you may be struggling with, we're, got, we're, we're, we're this close now. We're almost there. We're going to have a song, and there's going to be an opportunity where Jesus is calling you, and I want you to know you can come right on up here, and I'm going to tell you I want to pray for you. I want to lay my hands on you. I'm not Jesus. But on his behalf, I would love to let him 
be my hand and lay it on you and say, I'm going to pray for you to be liberated from whatever it is you're struggling with. If you've been in bondage for 18 years, let's pray today that God would free you. Free you. And then we have all the people in here that have been free that tell you what that looks like. The temptation won't go away, but there'll be, it'll be different. It'll be freedom is different. Freedom in Christ is different. And however you've struggled in the past, it will be a different sort of struggle because you'll have the spirit of God in you, that same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead will be at work in you and you will finally see and taste victory. And you'll say, God, you can let me be bent over for the rest of my life physically. Thank you for freeing me spiritually. That I might stand and praise you and glorify you. And so, but it's closed now. If you feel that prompting, I want you to come forward. You hearers that love this. Some of you know that moment. In fact, if if you see somebody coming up, if you're one of those people that has been liberated and you see somebody coming up and you think, I wonder if I think that maybe that's what they're hoping for, feel free to you come on up too and just pray with me for them. Right? You've tasted freedom. You rejoice. Rejoice that these things have been recorded by these saints of old that we can read this story. Rejoice that Jesus continues his saving work and rejoice that you have been liberated. Rejoice one day that he will, in his timing, ultimately liberate us from all physical ailments. I'm going to end with that. If I could have the musicians come up, I'm going to pray as they're coming up. Actually, before I, before I pray, they're going to come up. I'm gonna, I'm, I just want to say... Just in case you're sitting here going, I'm not used to this churchy stuff. And wild. What's this look like? I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't have to look any old way. Okay? If you recognize Jesus calling you, get up, come up, and say, pray for me, Pastor Matt, and I will pray for you. Okay? I don't care how you walk up. You crawl. You can be crying on your way up. It can be an ugly cry. You can be laughing on your way up. You can be rejoicing on your way up. You can be limping on your way up. I want to pray for you. Okay? Don't be shy. If you're here today and you've, re you've recognized the calling of Jesus because he saw you as a son or daughter of Abraham, then come on up and we're going to pray for you while the song is going on. Okay? Let me pray before we start. Heavenly Father, I just want to dedicate this last little bit of time of our service to you. Lord, I am not you, and I would never, ever attempt to try to be. I'm just another beggar showing beggars where there's bread. Lord, I think of your liberation of me. Lord, how I've been bound by sin, and I praise you, God, for giving me freedom. Lord, I pray that you would help now those in this room that are struggling with whatever it is, at whatever point they're at, if they've recognized your call, God, I ask that they would come and, and just say, Lord, free me. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.